Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 my wife asked me about three or four times if i was sure i wanted to wear this shirt and, yeah praise the lord right and, and here's the thing this is this is the honest truth okay honest truth i thought if i'm not going to wear this shirt today then i can't keep it in my closet anymore right so I bought myself another year with this shirt in my closet because I chose to wear this shirt today, right? Praise the Lord that we are a free country, Amen. yes, Amen. At, at least for the time being, right? At least for the time being, we are a free country, but praise the Lord even more that our soul, our spirit has been set free from sin because of what Jesus has done on the cross, amen? We have freedom and liberty in Christ. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. That's where we will be this morning, Daniel chapter 7. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you the story of the Israelites in the book of Numbers chapter 32. Understand what they have gone through, the spiritual warfare that they have gone through, struggling to obtain the promises of God. And there they are embarking upon the next phase of their journey. They're at the edge of the Jordan, ready to cross the Jordan and into the promised land, the, God, the, the, the land that God had prepared for the people, for the Israelites. And they're on the embankment with the past in the rear view, right? They understand that their relatives, their ancestors, their mothers, their fathers, their grandfathers, their mothers, they died in the wilderness, Wandering for 40 years, what should have taken just a few months, took 40 years. Why? Because the spies were sent out to spy the land. Report came back, and the spies said, the land is it's filled with giants. This, this is impossible. There's no way that we can conquer these people. There were two men, Joshua and Caleb, who said, what you're not understanding, yes, the giants are big, but God is bigger. Right? Those two men were allowed to enter the promised land. The rest died wandering in the wilderness. And now here they are. The next generation of Israelites are at the edge of the Jordan, ready to cross over to claim their inheritance, what God had promised them as a possession. And there are two tribes that stand and they look around and they see the plains and they see the pastures and they think to themselves, you know what? We have lots of herds and flocks and this land is very suitable for our, our possession, we would rather stay on this side of the Jordan than to cross the Jordan and take the land that God has promised us. So the tribe of Reuben and Gad, they say to, to, to Moses, let us stay on this side and enjoy our inheritance. We'll take the land on this side. Let us not go over with the rest of the tribes into the promised land. Now Moses comes to those two tribes, the elders of those tribes, and he says to them, what you're not seeing is that if you stay here 
And if you don't cross the land, this has happened once before. We had a bad report. Those 10 spies came back and they said that it's impossible. There's no way. If you stay on this side of the Jordan, you'll, you'll bring a discouragement to the rest of the tribes and you'll jeopardize our ability to claim our inheritance. And so these, these men, the elders of the tribe of Reuben and Gad, they say to Moses, well, let us settle this land. Let us set up our pastures. Let us set up our, our flocks. Let us set up our homes. Let us plant our, our, our flocks and our cattle here and our children and, and our wives here, and we will still go with you. Every able-bodied man that can fight will go with you to conquer the land, and then we will return to enjoy our inheritance. And Moses says, okay, this is fine with me. But then he says this, and this is a spiritual truth that every single one of us deals with every single day. He says, okay, this is acceptable to me, but understand this, that if you speak this word and you promise to go with us, to conquer and to claim the land of inheritance for the rest of the Israelites, if you go back on your word and you sin against the Lord, be sure that your sin will find you out. Think about that for a moment. Because that's a spiritual truth that is woven into the fabric of every single one of our lives here this morning. Now, Jesus died for our sin. God came and made a way for us to be forgiven of sin. But that doesn't mean we aren't still going to suffer consequences of sin. Right? And that really it's your sin that is hunting you down. It's the enemy who wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And this is what happened here to these two tribes. They saw the lay of the land. They were so concerned with and so consumed with how suitable the land was on the other side of the Jordan that they forgot that God's promises were on the other side of the water. And they settled for less than God's best because the world consumed them. Because they looked around and they got so overtaken with what the world had to offer that they actually forfeited and surrendered some of God's blessings and some of God's promises that they should have claimed for themselves because the world was so attractive to them. Be sure that if you fall into sin, your sin will find you out. Now understand that the first six chapters of Daniel, they've been kind of more autobiographical. They've been stories. And I love the, this part of Daniel because they are stories. And I like stories. And I like to tell stories. But here in Daniel chapter 7, things shift. There's a, a notable shift that is going to take place. And so the first six chapters, you see and you read these stories of these young Hebrew boys that have been able to stay pure and clean in the midst of a, a land that has taken them captive. They're no longer in the Israel that they were promised. They're no longer in Jerusalem. They're no longer able to go to their temple. They've been taken to a foreign land called Babylon, right? And they've been made to, to kind of try to assimilate into the Babylonian culture. And we see these stories how even in the midst of worldliness... If you really keep your heart true to the things of God, you don't have to succumb to that worldliness. You don't have to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan. Do you follow me? And so we see these stories. You, you know, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go into the fiery furnace because they won't bow to an idol. You see Daniel getting thrown into the den of lions because he refuses to stop praying to God. You see these moments where God intervenes on the behalf of Daniel and the wise men, and God gives Daniel visions and interpretations or the ability to interpret visions so that people's lives would be saved. You see story after story after story how if we as believers in God 
If we keep our hearts true to the things of the Lord, that God will sustain us even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of a world in which we do not belong. The Israelites didn't belong in Babylon, and neither do you as a Christian in Christ belong in this world. This world is not your home. Our citizenship, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to fix our eyes on things above. That's where our hearts should be connected with, not the things of this life, not the things of this world. Now in Daniel chapter 7, there's going to be a shift that takes place. And what's amazing about this is that this is not chronological. This is not written in order. So what we're going to read in Daniel chapter 7 chronologically should actually fall in between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. Remember, Daniel chapter 5 is when the writing was on the wall. You remember this story, right? Belshazzar sees this writing on the wall and he calls for Daniel. What is this mene, mene, tekelum, farsi? What does this mean? Right? It means your days are numbered. You've been weighed, you've been found lacking, and your days are numbered, Daniel told King Belshazzar. Right? So that actually took place. What we're reading here in Daniel chapter 7, it takes place 15 years or so before Daniel chapter 5. Okay, so sandwiched in between the end of Daniel chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar's judgment, his humility, and then his restoration, and Belshazzar's reign in Daniel chapter 5, falls this vision that is given to Daniel. No longer are we going to be solely looking at these stories that encourage believers to stay true in the midst of a faithless world, right? Now we're going to be getting into some meat and potatoes of the prophecies of the book of Daniel. And so this begins the prophetic section of the book of Daniel. Shame on me, right? I asked you to turn to Daniel chapter 7. I didn't have it. So read with me. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read a few verses and then we'll come back and we'll really dissect this text together. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Again, in the first year, right after he had been appointed, right, by his father-in-law to stay and to, to be the regent who oversees Babylon, okay, after, this is after Nebuchadnezzar's time, sandwiched in between Daniel 4 and 5. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Now, this is Daniel now receiving a vision. All the other ones that we've read, really, there are other people receiving dreams or visions, and Daniel coming and giving interpretation. This is different. Now, in this case, Daniel himself, as he's lying on his bed, he receives this vision. This is a word that God has for Daniel. Now, let's read on. It says, he wrote them down, or he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Now, I don't know about you or if any of you have this as a kind of an MO. I used to keep a notepad by my bedside because the Lord would wake me up in the middle of the night and I need to write down ideas or inspiration that I would have for sermons or things that I was supposed to teach through. Now I don't have to do that because I have a note thing on my phone, right? I just type it in there. But, but the fact of the matter is, if you expect God to speak to you, why would you not be prepared for when he does, right? Daniel here, he's right, he gets up in the middle of the night. He has this vision. He writes it down immediately. He doesn't want that word to be snatched from him. He doesn't want that word to be stolen from him, so he writes it down. Right? Again, so look at this. Read on with me. Verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, 
And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh." Verse 6, after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and and this beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now pause there for a moment. We're going to begin this morning by looking at the vision of Daniel. If you're taking notes or if you're following along on the app with the notes from home, note that that's your first point there, is that we're going to look at the vision of Daniel. Daniel has this vision that God has given him. The first part of this vision is a vision of the kingdoms of the world. So we're going to consider these, and what I want you to see in this moment here is these visions that Daniel has of these four beasts correspond to the vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. That was a few weeks back, but if you think a few weeks back with me, you remember that Nebuchadnezzar's troubled by this dream that he has. And he wakes, up in the, or he wakes up the next morning and he calls for the wise men to come. And he says, I want you guys to not only interpret this dream for me, but I want you to also tell me what it means. And the wise men say, well, sure, no problem. Tell me what the dream was and then we'll give you the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar says, I, I don't think you heard me correctly. I want you to tell me what the dream was as well as the interpretation, so that I know for certain that you're hearing from the God, the gods. Again, they're pantheon there, right? I want to know for certain that you're the real deal. No one's able to do it. Daniel is summoned, or Daniel hears. He says, let me come and give the king the interpretation. He calls those who are, are of like-mindedness together. He says, let's pray together. Let's seek God together. I need to give this interpretation as well as the dream. He shows up and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what your dream was. In your dream, you saw an amazingly large, impressive, awesome statue. And the head was a head of gold. And then as it tapered down to the shoulders and the arms, it became silver. And then there was a, a belly of bronze and there were legs of iron and the feet were iron mixed with clay. And he says, this is the interpretation, O king. What you've seen is an unfolding of the history of the kingdoms of the world that will occupy Israel. These are the kingdoms that will oppress Israel. And he's telling him world history before it happens. What do we call that? We call that prophecy. Daniel is saying what God has shown you, Nebuchadnezzar, is a prophetic word of what will happen in world history from this point forward. And he says this, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. But after you, there will come another kingdom signified by the silver and the two arms. And and, and the Bible commentators believe that this represents the Medo-Persian Empire who took presence and they came and they invaded Babylon. They took uh, possession of the land in 539 B.C. What they did is they diverted the Euphrates River and they went in under the wall of Babylon. I mean, Babylon had these towering walls and gates. I mean, some Bible commentators believe hundreds of feet high, these walls, they were insurmountable. They were no, no way you could break through these walls. So they diverted the river, which went under the walls, and they went through underneath the walls, opened the gates, and then the, the basically it wasn't even contested. The Medo-Persian Empire came in and they routed uh, the, the Babylonians. So that happened in 539. Then he says, after the silver, there's a belly of bronze, and this symbolizes the Greek culture, the Greek 
or the, the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great, who finally kind of wrestled control away in about 330 B.C. After the belly of bronze, there were the legs of iron. And this, Bible commentators tell us, symbolizes the, or the, the Roman Empire. They were strong, and they basically suppressed all of the, the known regions, all right? And so there's these three. And then there's the, the feet, which are iron mixed with clay, which is a future kingdom that is a revived Roman Empire out of ten nations that we have yet to see come to pass even in our time. So Daniel says, this is what the vision is, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what I want you to understand, what we're going to read today, is the same history, prophetic history, unfolding. But instead of seeing the history from the eyes of man, Nebuchadnezzar sees this head of gold and these shoulders of silver and this belly of bronze and these legs of iron. And it's impressive and it's regal and it's imperial and it looks like something to be desired. But what God sees in the history of man is completely different. God doesn't see a statue that is incomparable. God looks down and he sees ferocious beasts that prey upon one another. So in Daniel's vision, we're seeing the same prophetic history unfold, but from the eyes, from the perspective of God. You follow me? Now let's look at this again. The first beast, right, the first beast that is, or let's, let's say this first, there's these four winds that are swirling, and these, these winds coming from every direction, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, basically causing a churning that happens there. Oftentimes the wind in the scripture, it, it speaks of, it symbolizes the spirit of God. So you can say, just like the spirit of God hovered over the waters or over, over the, the, the vast of nothingness before creation, right, here we see the, spirits, uh, the spirit of God hovering over over the great sea, quite possibly the Mediterranean Sea. And the seas symbolize the raging nations. And so here out of these nations, out of the raging nations, the first beast comes up out of the water and it looks like a lion, but it has wings of eagles. And the wings are plucked from this animal, from the lion, and the lion is made to stand on its back feet, standing up like a man. And it's given the mind of a man. Do you remember what happened if this, if this lion here, it corresponds with the, uh, the, the nation of Babylon or the empire of Babylon? You remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He was up on his rooftop in Daniel chapter 4. We read this a few weeks ago. He was looking around from the, possibly the towering walls of, of, of the, the hanging gardens of Babylon. He looks around and he has pride fill his heart. He says, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And in that moment... God removes from him his reason, and he's driven out into the pastures, and he lives like cattle for seven years until the time comes when it says there in Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar says, my reason returned to me. I was mad. My pride drove me to madness, but then my reason returned to me, and he was once again restored to his rightful place as the king over Babylon, right? So this corresponds beautifully with that. You see this regal lion, it has the wings of eagles, but the heart of it, and this is what it actually says in the authorized version, in Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 4, in the authorized version, in the King James Version, it says that he was given the heart of a man. He was given the mind of a man, given the heart of a man. I want you to understand this this morning. If you're here this morning and your heart is hard as stone, if you're here this morning and your mind has been perverted by sin and the things of the world, there is only one solution for that sickness, and that is for God himself to come and to soften your heart 
and to renew your mind. There's a promise that is made in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to this. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. And you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from you the heart of stone. And, your, and, and I shall give you a heart of flesh. If your heart this morning is hard, if your conscience has been seared through the deceitfulness of sin, if your mind is perverse, if you cannot, no matter how hard you try, stop thinking those disgusting thoughts, the only hope for you is to come to the Lord and say, God, I don't want this heart hard. I don't want this hard heart any longer. I don't want this vile mind any longer. And just like Nebuchadnezzar was restored, God can give you a heart of flesh. And he can renew your mind, and you can leave here different than when you came. You don't have to live that way any longer. I love the fact that here, it, it, just like what happens in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, this beast is given the heart of a man. He's given the reason of a man. This is what we call in the church being born again. And we toss these words around often, and, and maybe sometimes we don't explain them enough. But what does it really truly mean to be born again? It means to be born from above. It means to be completely renewed. It means to be given a new heart and to be given a new mind and to be renewed in spirit. And the only way you can get to the kingdom of heaven, the only way you can reach heaven, Jesus told Nicodemus, is you must be born again. God has to remove from you that heart of stone and place in you a heart of flesh. God has to take from you that vile mind and to wash it and to cleanse it and to restore it. And you can be born again this morning if you just ask God for help. If you just say, God, I'm tired of living this way, make me new. This first beast would correspond with what we see as the head of gold. This is the kingdom of Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. The second beast that arises from these stirring waters of the Mediterranean, the great sea, which symbolize the nations raging, the nations of the world. The second beast that arises is, looks like a bear. And the bear is leaning to one side. And in its mouth, there are three ribs. So what does this mean? What, well, co commentators tell us that this, again, symbolizes the chest and the arms of silver. The, this would be the Medo-Persian Empire. Just like the, the Persian Empire kind of overtook and was stronger than the Medes, so too the bear is leaning to one side. And it has within its mouth three kingdoms. The kingdom of Egypt, the kingdom of Babylon, and the kingdom of Lydia. And so this is what Bible commentators believe. It's, it's a lumbering bear. It's a big bear. It's going to devour much land. It's going to take much land. And this is exactly what the Persians did. They had a, a, a military, an army that was two and a half million men strong. Now, in context, understand, in those days, that was an impressive military. The population of the world isn't what it is today. This was a big military, but because it was so large, it, was, it moved very slow, much like a bear. And so, again, Bible commentators say the, the first, the, the, the lion corresponds with Babylon. The bear corresponds with the Medo-Persian Empire. The third beast that arises from these stirring waters is a leopard. And this leopard has four wings, and it has Four heads. Now, it, if, if I had this vision, I think I would be a little distressed, stressed out as well, just like Daniel, right? But what does this represent? What does this animal represent? This would be the Grecian Empire. 
the Greeks, led by Alexander the Great, had an army that was only 35,000 people strong. But it was swift. It was fast, symbolized by the four wings. It would go in, and it would conquer quickly. And they, were, they led kind of guerrilla-style warfare. They went in, and they were out. And they subdued a lot of nations very quickly under Alexander's rule. Now, Alexander died at a young age in 323 B.C. He had only been in power uh, he'd only been on the throne for about seven years after he finished conquering the lands that he conquered. After those seven years, he died, and because he didn't have an heir, he didn't have a successor, the control of the Grecian Empire was left in the hands of four regions given to four of his generals, which would be symbolized by the four heads of the leopard. Are you following me? Are we all up to speed? This is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's belly of brass. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977